Tonight we have the um, full moon observance, and uh, so theme of the is to sustain meditation through the night. And so we do this on these uh, particular. Used to do it a lot every week when it gets a bit kind of automatic. So we, you know, we just do it particular periods like during the Vasa or during the um, during the winter retreat or full moons now and then so it becomes something more of a kind of an occasion rather than a routine <laughs> you know it's one of those those um, things you've got to crack in, in monastic life, the kind of whole automatic institutionalization of it, where everybody's just marching in step and here we go again, and you get kind of uh, numb to it all, you lose the sense of joy or, you know, initiative or, you know, personal application or just doing things, just see how it goes, you know, do the best you can. And, and uh, you know, so it's just some kind of regime that we uh, frog marched into by some unfeeling institution, but some sense of being in a community of uh, you know people practicing and just ex- just seeing what we can ex- you know deepen our meditation for our own welfare. It's one of those kind of pieces that I think you have to be really careful with, and the way that we West tend to have a sense of institution rather than than uh, community, you know. So you should say it's kind of got a military quality to it, or a bureaucratic sometimes, you know, the remote system. That you just follow, and you know, some of you in the language of it, you know, surrender to the form of God. Doesn't sound very pleasant, does it? <laughs> Give up your personal desires for the form. It's like stay out of George Orwell. Um, it always makes you feel like every personal desire is somehow petty, foolish, trivial, you know. In, so you infantile makes you into some kind of infant, you know, whatever you feel personal or intimate, surrender that, give that up for the sake of the, the form, the, the tradition, the convention, the custom. Is that, a very, is that a very pleasant relationship to have with a tradition where, it, you know, you're continually living in a sense of, you know, you are small, what you think or feel doesn't count. Uh, you know, mm. or is it something whereby, because you know, just in abstract, we can recollect that other beings have gone before us who said, "Hey, this is useful. Try to have a go at this. This could be helpful," and the people we're living with. You know, so some sense in which we really encouraged, you know, 
and then you just do the best you can. So, so awards or punishments doled out. I think the thing you, you also recognize that the one of the striking features of the Buddha's presentation, which you know caused some riffles at the time, was he 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 veered away from the kind of tough, tougher stance, the self-mortification stance, into something more pleasant. You know, so so he's got some stick for it. You know. This recluse summoner teaches pleasure. And he's saying, "Yeah, this is this isn't kind of worldly grasping pleasure. This is the the pleasantness of non-attachment, not getting strung out. Pleasantness of the of a mind that's calm and settled. Pleasantness of living in harmony. The pleasantness of of um, you know feeling respect for oneself and for others. You know, that's a pleasant abiding, and there's nothing wrong with that." Um, you know, and then from that, the mind has become more stable, steady. It's not desperate. It's not trying to force something or get something or hold something. It's more peaceful. And so, a lot of the kind of you know constrictions and agitations in the mind just start to fall away. And that's the process. That falling away. That dissolving is the process that reaches its goal or finalizes in that realization of nibbana or deathless. The kind of deconstruction of all these ways in which we hold ourselves because a lot of our life feels like that. You're kind of holding yourself together and working it out and making it okay and you know it's not a not a gentle ride necessarily. So I think particularly this is a bit of conditioning you've got to check. It's mostly people in the West tend to come from a society which is very much about the individual on your own style, stance. You maybe got a few (coughs) friends you meet here and there. (coughs) Maybe you've got a partner. That's about it. And you go out into the mass world and there's a lot of people you're competing with or indifferent to or just moving past you're not really connected to anybody so it's a very isolated kind of fragmented um, context that we tend to find ourselves growing up in you don't really know much more than that you don't have a big family you don't have a village you don't have a tribe you don't have which is what was around in the Buddha's day you know you're so bound in to the tribe, the village, the clan, the caste, the whole thing. The Buddha is saying, hey, you know, you, you, you want to steer out of some of this. You get, into, get so involved with it all. So he so, said, you know, get off on your own a bit more. For us, it's the other way around, you know. We're so unconnected to anything that you've got sort of, kind of a lot of, um, like, uh, just a, um, abstraction, coldness, or distance, remoteness that people experience. They're not doing it deliberately. It's just a kind of basic stance that people have. (coughs) When I was doing a teaching retreat at a Thaiana Gary Carr along with this retreat, she said, why is everybody so sad? What are they so sad about? I say, well, they're just normal. <laughs> and it takes a while on retreats sometimes when you're putting people together, about three or four days before people actually start to get some sense of belonging to something. And it's great that it, it can happen at all. That you can, but it just by, it's kind of, you, know, you can come out of that just by. You know, even a retreat when people aren't necessarily talking to each other, just the fact that you're sort of almost something starts to happen by just sitting together, being together, going to calm spaces, occupying the same. There's a feeling of, you know, trust and ease, and some of the defences go down, some of the 
tightness and the anxiety releases and you start to feel a natural quality of um, empathy you know, warmth, warm-heartedness and ease sometimes you've really got to work on bits of it and how that, that sense of dis-ease can be projected out onto well they don't really want me here or I'm not very good or you know, it's the guy in charge or you know, being supervised or trained kind of thing (laughs) you know you've got to let go One of the <clears throat> disqualities, deathless, that the Buddha brought up in his first came, came out of his liberation experience. And uh, first thing to notice is that it was extremely blissful. You know, so he wasn't just kind of coming out blank, but 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 uh, coming out of that that quality of cessation with everything really refreshed, all the tangles, all the surplus you know programs of the mind is completely snuffed you know so that you get a sense of the system by itself is 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 suddenly relieved and it feels very very bright and spending weeks just contemplating this and using this quality this brightness to to review the way that the mind works and and so on very profound teaching dependent origination. And then deciding, and then this bit where he actually gets this some sort of signal, you know, and in the, that time it, the Brahma gods come down and say, oh, please teach. And it, it, uh, so some sense in which there's a kind of resonance from the world of, of, um, of um, and even compassion arises. So the first thing is called anukampati, which means one there's a shaking. It's got a, it's not it means a sort of resonance or a, or a sensitivity to the fact that you know he's in this kind of cosmos of other beings who are going through their stuff, and there's a feeling somehow or another of of you know connection there and the possibility that somebody might get something out of it. You know, so he decides to teach. He wasn't trying to set himself up. You know, as you know, hey, I'm the you know I'm the best thing in town, but more of a place of of compassion. So that's that's right there. That's almost the first movement. Is this sense of happiness, blissfulness, clarity, and then compassion. Those those we can say are definitely what come out into the manifest world yeah. and it wasn't like he was going to get out there and tell everybody to let go of their desires and set them all straight yeah. <laughs> it's just well you know what, what what can I do to help and he's trying to figure out what he could do I guess so the first time he comes along to this, this group of five ascetics who are you know, well, exactly the push over these guys because they'd already rejected him. Um, and he says, Well, you see him come here thinking, Oh, here comes that loser, Gautama, who got into milk rice. <laughs> and so he went into luxury. And it was, his, his kind of quality was so radiant, they just found themselves. Moved or kind of magnetically stirred by this presence, and wow! And then he, he's saying, "Have you ever seen? Have you ever seen this before? Did I ever talk like this before?" And he says, "Look, the doors of the deathless are open." And this this reference. So where did he get that from? You know, reference because he was using the standard references of the Indian religious culture. Deathless was a Something was kind of around, and the deathless was originally a kind of a, an elixir that they used to crank out up in the heavens somewhere. 
And the idea was the gods would take a toke of this stuff and that would keep them going. <laughs> you know, some kind of, some, some ambrosial soma, I think they called it. So the gods are all taking this, this juice. So it was a kind of way of saying, you know, I've, I've hit something that's really keeping me going. It's really life-giving um, quality. So they said, oh, anyway, you know, where do you get that stuff from? So they listened, because he was because he could see the quality of of, uh, of of vitality and brightness and clarity, and it was so apparent. And he so you can use this this language, the deathless, meaning this kind of elixir. Mm. And it's one of those things that people uh, come up with here when you look in the scriptures. It comes up. Occasionally, here and there, they, people see these disciples of the Buddha and they say, "Wow, he must have t- he must have had a hit of the deathless because they look so bright. Your features are bright, your eyes are bright, your countenance is clear. You know, what have you been taking?" <laughs> and uh, you must see someone who's found the deathless because you know, the results are like that. You know, of having. And of course, the, the trick is they haven't actually found anything at all. Really, they've just kind of let go. They've dissolved all the obstacles to 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 um, to this allowing this uh, um, the system to really uh, find itself, regenerate itself. So they're being all knotted up, messed up, confused, smeared over, dulled. So that's the theme, isn't it? It's always a kind of clearing away of your obscurities and. Uh, Contaminations, and then what do you have left? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, said there is eleven doors to the deathless. There's a, a sutta. So the eleven doors are the four, four jhanas, the three immaterial spheres, or three of the four immaterial spheres, and the four Brahma Vihara, or which are the spheres of to do with kindness and compassion. And that basically the, the theme is that these are, these are sublime perceptual states, extended states where the heart is uncramped. And you establish that, you, you feel into that, they, they're pleasurable, they're uplifting, they're happy, they're fortunate. And then as your mind steadies into that, it's both got the skills and the and the pliability and the and the clarity to actually then investigate that state for what it is you know it's compounded and to not make some kind of person or self out of it you know, it's just that so it's a it's a these are if you like creating particular um you might say little baths where you can sit in and let yourself dissolve. And uh, the, the four jhanas are to do basically with a kind of bodily sense, which can feel has a lot of tension and constriction and uh, in it. And then there's also just the basic bodily conditions of pleasure, pain, health, vitality, um, tiredness, fatigue, these things, sexual energy. So all this stuff that's charging around and the theme of the jhanas is that all this stuff is is kind of mellowed out and so that you're you're free from those pushes and snags and pulls and uh, the result is that there's a sense of of undifferentiated ease in the in the bodily sense such that the body kind of disappears it doesn't really disappear so much as it it becomes more like a field of energy of bright energy. And the Buddha said there's not one part of the body that isn't permeated with this quality. So it's very much an embodied state. Yeah. And it's if you come to terms with it, this very experience we all have of having this body thing, you know, with its pains and cramps and its nagging hungers and its uh, cold and fear and its, you know, passions and just so that you're feeling coming to terms with what's happened to us we got born into this you know that's a big 
a lot of a lot of sankaras can get formulated around that. Yeah. And the quality of samadhi is such that the the the, the features of the body, like the sort of melt when you're left with something that's, that's more like an undifferentiated quality, you know, which is basically easy, peaceful, happy, bright. Mm. So it's extremely refreshing. And, the, and then you have the three formless, three of the four formless ones. The four formless are, well, they don't really be beyond the scope of what I'm going to talk about, but the thing, why there isn't the well, all four of them aren't considered doors is because the fourth is so so attenuated you can't really get much reflection going on. You can't get perspective on it. So the mind is almost completely gone out. And then the other really important thing to to consider is the four Brahma Vihara, you know, because this very much deals with the the we context, you know, which again is extremely important and extremely uh, programmed you know, the you, me him, her, them when, does, when can it become we? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. because it, that on a social level is the problem isn't it? you know, there's him and her and them and me and you, but there's not much we if there's a lot more we, then you don't you get morality becomes a normal expression of to others as to myself, um, generosity, compassion, attention, listening, sympathy, all those things. A lot of the stress and struggle that occurs either directly physically or just occurs in the mind, the nervousness, the fear of being let rejected, the needing to prove oneself, the issues around groups, around, you know, the whole thing. And, you know, so the, the we sense is a, is a very important and quite an, quite an elusive one. You know, it can happen and then, you know, because it's so often that you're trying to actually work from the sense of differences and how do we all agree upon something? Well, generally we we don't really. <laughs> you know. But the Brahma Vihara are not really about coming about a lot more like making agreements so much as first of all realizing that the the that we want to just clear the sense of how I how I sense myself and how I sense others, uh, you know, into something that's that's actually um, benevolent rather than awkward, frightened, um, pushy, um, you know. And that's there's a lot there. Isn't there? You know, what do you is just you know. There's this saying about going to Ireland, and I, I don't think this is necessarily true, it's a nice saying, in Ireland there are no strangers, there are just the, there are friends you haven't met yet. You know? This is a nice way of looking at it, because we really think strangers are people you've got to be wary of, which is also the truth. Whereas a sense can be more like, you know, in the world there are no real friends, there are just people who haven't become strangers yet. <laughs> <laughs> One day they will go, <laughs> leave you. <laughs> you know, you have to make a friend and uh, hold them, hold on to them. You know, it's a perilous thing. So with the Brahma Vihara, you, you know, you kind of start to to maybe, you know, feel how how you sense yourself. That's one of the pieces that sometimes get missed out on that, on the practicing metta and kindness and compassion is towards to, to others as to myself. 
how do you practice metta towards yourself? Uh, think of nice things about yourself? Doesn't sounds a bit narcissistic and sometimes you can't think of any anyway. <laughs> so sometimes you just think of this as our image of, you know, when you're walking at night and maybe it's raining and it's dark and you're walking along and you see you see a house, you know, with lights on. And you come along and you see the doors open and there's somebody saying, Come in. Come in. Come inside and dry out and have something to eat. You know, it's just like that, that kind of quality of welcome. You're welcome here. And what would that feel like? If you're walking along in the cold rain and night time and there's that sense of welcome. You know, just welcome, you're at home, you're with friends. Just what would that feel like? You can bring up an image like that. What would that feel like? So a sense of, you know, it's not really adding up your personal qualities. It's just recognizing, it gets tough out there, doesn't it? You know, uh, if you're living in this kind of isolated, isolationist realm, it can feel pretty bleak at times. Why don't you come on in and just make yourself at home? Mm-hmm. And you kind of, so particularly some, when the mind does get bleak and what's the point and this isn't going to work and oh dear, am I doing? Just to bring up images like that of being welcomed. Yeah. When you use a word like loving kindness, it may be, it can seem too soft or it can seem that you've got to have a huge emotional charge there or tick off a list of I'm a good boy because um, which all seems a bit I don't know, mechanical to me but really working on the quality of being welcomed into the world, into where you are Hmm? what would that be like? and sometimes just seeing how much one kind of dismisses it as a fantasy you know, well, uh, but whether anybody else does it or not, at least to be able to get that sense for yourself. Mm-hmm. Just better sit in that in yourself. It's like looking at the, or recognizing the predicament that we all have. We all were suffering. We all want happiness, we all want to be healthy, we all, none of us want to be harmed, abused, rejected, cold, diseased, you know, knocked about, and yet, so that sense of, you know, some compassion and some kindness of, of, uh, towards, this is a basic um, medium, and then that's established, then you can you can act from that, or think from that, or speak from that, or just abide in it as a, a kind of basic where you are in the world, you know, as a sort of like a navigation thing. Hey, this is this is what it is to be here. Mm. This is what it, what it means to be. However you do it, whether you're whether your money, work, job is, but basically your your sense of being in the world is on that you know kindness compassion compassion is say if kindness is more like that which provides nourishment and compassion is that which protects from harm or sees the possibility the vulnerability of beings and you know how we can get hurt how we can well it's Sort of something that wants to shelter or protect or yeah. And then also mudita, the quality of appreciating other people's good fortune. Yeah. Which is nice. Yeah. It's a cheerful. Cause sometimes it all seems very serious, you know. And yet, mudita is, is a really essential quality, picking up, tuning into the happiness that people have. You know, how nice it is when somebody has a good day. 
why not, you know, <laughs> rather than, well, so what, or he didn't deserve it, or, you know, and just feeling of, oh, good for you, it was great, I'm glad your football team won, you know. <laughs> Made you happy. A bit of happiness is not to be sneered at, in my opinion. You know? And, uh, but then you do recognize that generally, while well, we do anamodana, it comes from the same word, mudati, to, to rejoice. You know? And when you see, you can recognize people, you know, making some efforts. And just the encouragement, the acknowledgement, the encouragement of, of others' well-being. Uh, and then upeka is the understanding of karma. You know, we, we come and go through changes, ups and downs, and, you know, it's not indifferent, but it's a sense of just holding an emotional space, an empathic space. When somebody's up, somebody's down, okay, you know, we can be with that. You're not. So it's that sense in which you're the connection or into the world, um, which is not, you know, holding on to people, but establishing a particular environment in your own mind that can, ex- that can be with yourself, with others, on your own, with one person, people in difficulties, people having a good time. When you're having a good time, to be able to enjoy that without feeling guilty about it or, or dismissing it. Um, and if you're having a bad time, rather than blaming yourself, beating yourself up, telling yourself you deserve it, actually some compassion. You know? So you, you come out of this kind of um, hard mindset into something that's that's uh, able to, to suffuse. It's unjudgmental. And this is what these are doors to the deathless. Because what they do is they, they start to first of all obviously push away things like the mistrust, fear, ill will, contempt, indifference, looking down on people, being intimidated by people. You know. So they just take away so much stress that the mind is, is, you know, conventionally liberated from that degree of stress. And then you begin to see how much all of us are formed by, by relationship, by, you know, from early age, you know, if you're bullied or, you know, Abandoned, then that certainly has a big effect on how you how you sense yourself being worthy or unworthy. So all is kind of formed by relationships, and as you meditate, you begin to sense some of these these memories or these these impressions. You know, something is hard, something is empty, something is lost, something is. Um, you know, um, you're not 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 vital, not alive. When you touch into some of these kind of lost places, and begin to um, heal them, bring around some healing. And so, it's, the theme really is through actually working on the you know the fundamental conditioned level, that being first of all an individual with a body, you know, working on that experience and then being an individual in a a shared context. These two very powerful formative experiences. And you you work on those, clearing out the sometimes unconscious um, problems or distractions or discomfort in that the mind is then brought into a much brighter wider state of being and then it begin it can start to release itself from that yeah so you you work on the conditioned 
the finite, the personal, you know, with all its kind of odd, embarrassing bits or its lost bits. And through that, your mind both acquires skills and your experience becomes brighter and more available. Sometimes it's the case when we think of transcendence or non-attachment or getting out or getting out of samsara is that something without, it's not intellectually, but something that's kind of just wants to dump (laughs) the person and get the hell out. (laughs) You know, it's like just just witness it, let it let it all go, drop it, you know, get it get out of here. This is a mess, get out. Uh, or you try to kind of transcend some transcend without really even actually fully uh, experiencing your your own body yeah. or your, your your relationships with people, your sense of how you are with other people. You think, Oh that's all worldly stuff, you know, it's that's not unconditioned, that's not Nibbana, I don't want that stuff, I want the, you know, whatever it is, sort of white light, clear light, blank space, out there, cessation of everything. Um, But it doesn't seem to work like that. You know. Sooner or later, the stuff, you know, we can try this, but pretty, sometimes soon, the stuff says, not so fast, you ain't getting out that way. <laughs> you know, body starts doing things or breaking down or you get emotionally very um, uh, fraught, tense, sorrowful, bleak, or your mind starts kind of feeling very forceful and pushy, get very willful, trying to get out. And you think, no, no, it's not going to work like that. You've actually got to get, come back and uh, clean up your, clean up your house. When you've cleaned up your world, then it starts to dissolve. That's the theme. When you've really cleaned it out, it starts to dissolve by itself. Not from aversion, not from, you know, trying to avoid it, but because its nature is like that. It is actually just, you know, of a a dreamlike or a a conditioned quality. So when that, some of the, the tension and the pushing decreases and the fascinations and the sort of settle down, it starts to just dissolve by itself. Yeah. As you ask yourself, what, 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 what do you, who are you? You know, what, what comes up when you are, when you ask that? Who are you? Yeah. And you maybe, you know, you get a whole series of, no, 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 no. Well, we're not talking about that, are we? What's the basic footprint? What happens when you sit down? You're doing something, and you're doing your business, you're doing your work, and then you sit down and you meditate, and suddenly there's that moment which happens about five seconds in, when suddenly you realize, oh, something goes, oh, I'm looking at you. <laughs> you know, you have this, you're doing things, and, and the music stops, where you stop, sit down, and close your eyes, and then suddenly, you know, maybe a few seconds, there's a sense of watching, aware of, and then what comes with that? Hello, welcome, nice to see you, or, hmm, what's happening here, better make something out of this, the feeling of, you know, looking at you, and come up, or, oh dear, this is a bit, could be a bit strange, what should I do with it, make of it, um, sort it out, um, tidy it up, uh, how do I get out of it, you're not really there, you're not a self, don't start doing that self stuff to me, you're not really a self, you're impermanent. <laughs> You know, suddenly this whole kind of spiel gets laid upon <laughs> coming up. <laughs> Not necessarily verbal, but attitudinal. 
you know, you don't sort of say, oh, wow, here I am, nobody's bothering me. How nice, you know. No. That the first recognition, I don't know how it is for you, but the first recognition is being looked at, maybe, and then what would happen if everybody turned around and looked at one person in this room, <laughs> like, like me, you know? <laughs> you know suddenly, um, <coughs> excuse me, I'm sorry. Um, you, know, you don't think, oh, wonderful, everybody's looking at me, how nice. There's a feeling of self-consciousness arises. And it's not necessarily got any words in it, it's just a, a basic sense of something um, not quite... Oh, I should do something, I'm a bit, a bit nervous about that, you know. That's, that's the kind of fundamental, you know, footprint in the self. There should be something better happening. It shouldn't be like this. It shouldn't be like this. It should be better or bigger or not seen or, you know, or it's not really welcome or it's not really worth very much. It, it, it doesn't speak. Very, sometimes it does, but you know, you give it some food, it will start speaking. But it could be this kind of almost the first take. There's something wrong with this. And you start from that position, and there's that—that's the bath one sits in. And what would it be like if the first look was one of, oh? Like a newborn baby, you know. Oh, lovely! Nice to see you. Wonderful. There it is. Look at that. What would that be like? Yeah. Yeah. So before we, you know, get out of the world, have we even got into it yet? Have we actually been born yet? In that prop, in that here we are sense. Yeah. Here we are. You're one of us. <clears throat> I'm the you. <clears throat> I don't know. I don't see that anybody else is going to really do that for me if I don't do it for myself I mean other people can help but when I recognize maybe the first thing of seeing me has got this not very strong but definite impression that then whatever it always does somehow I'm seeing it through that or they're just being nice to me because I am you know this is they're, they're being nice to make it better for me because basically I'm not you know <laughs> whatever it is that kind of thing and, uh, and you can feel embarrassed or awkward uh, about that. Yeah. So it's it's really not going to come around. The we sense is something you've got to kind of start to dare and work within yourself. What stops you? What stops you from ex- from accepting yourself? Or uh, and it's not indifference that oh well, but actually something more empathic. And just trying to carry that through in the day, you know, when one worries, one feels anxious, one feels one hasn't done enough or isn't good enough or particular things come up where you feel inadequate or you don't get it right or your meditation isn't as good as it should be. And you see the same kind of view getting you know, it's made stronger. There's something wrong with you. There's something wrong with you. Rather than, hey, you know, there's something difficult happened to you then. Oh, which is different, isn't it? There's some difficult stuff happening to you. Let's see what, how it can help you. Rather than, you've got it wrong again. You can't meditate. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you're born in this um, this time, when you're born in this time, this era, yeah. Do you wonder why you can't meditate? It seems 
<laughs> obviously. <laughs> yeah. Because there's so much agitation and compulsion and fear and you know massive world wars and you know, I mean no wonder people aren't that chilled out or blissful or steady or at peace with themselves. I mean a huge amount of people are just radically disembodied. I mean nobody's completely disembodied, but really not much in the body, just kinda of out there in in La La Land, you know, talking to the sky. Um, talking to little plastic things under the ears uh, you know just you know the mind is actually always just running in abstract thought thinking about themselves or others or just out there and actually just being able to settle down and feel inside you feel your own body and feel the ground beneath your feet and feel the skin around you and just be with that Because one of the things that happens when we get into stress, the system does when it gets into stress, is it basically jumps out. That's a kind of, uh, <clears throat> you might say, a panic reaction, which all creatures do when they're threatened. They, they either fight, you know, as you charge up, or you can be completely overwhelmed. That you can do is you can freeze. That's all you can do is if you're a little creature, you know, and you've got a whole pack of wolves jump, charging down on you. you, you can't fight them off, so you just go numb and freeze out. And that's what, the people, that's what animals do, and we do the same. For us, the overwhelm is not the wolves, is it? It's the, you know, the, the kind of... The, the, all the pressures that just too cooked up too much. So, you know, you, something just goes out. You know, living at millions of people, and the stress and the mistrust and the uncertainties and the pressures in all that, people just kind of go out. Sometimes very, very radically out. Most people just then out a little bit, you know. They're kind of just a talking head with no body. <laughs> Normal person. <laughs> you know, it's just continual spool of thought, the ones living in that. And this is average, you know, reasonable person, but, you know. But you don't blame someone for that. You feel compassion for them. Because it's coming out of this low-grade, chronic anxiety, uncertainty, stress. So what do you do like this? Beat them up and tell them, lost in thinking, clear your mind, stop thinking? Or is there something more compassionate, you know, warm-hearted, that would help to bring, come back here, it's all right here. Because then we're actually dissolving some very powerful sankharas, programs, conditioning factors. So, and that's the theme, isn't it? Dissolution of the conditioned, the resolution, the lay, the allaying. You know, the, the, so the conditioned realm is called the unconditioned. You uncondition yourself from all these conditioning factors. By, but you have to know what they are. Yeah. You've got to, not just intellectually, you've got to actually feel them, because meditation is not an intellectual process. Feel them, ascertain them, discern them, sense how they are, get to know them, know how to respond to them, to feel their, their convictions and their desperations and their whimpering and their what they do. And just hold it steady. That's what we call... Meditation. Mm. Hold it in your body is jhana. Hold it in your heart is metta, kindness and compassion. Mm. And then there's room for everyone in that. Mm. Well, I think the Brahma Vihara is so important because a lot of our stress comes from 
um, being in mass conglomerate situations with with other beings that we don't actually know and there's a lot of competition and pressure and uncertainty around it so that's uh, that's a big factor what would be like if uh, there was if these were people you could call upon if people who you could see as companions as as friends as people who you could see some sense of concern for and that what you did mattered to them what would that be like so there's a tremendous uh, sense of it validates your own your own existence validates your spiritual faculties and you come out of that empty abstracted state spinning um, uncertain and those spiritual faculties can bloom blossom so it is Mm. And then you, then you look look at what really you know. I think for all of us that whatever it says in the book or in the text in the theory, in the theory you just basically look around and you see someone who you think, well, whatever she's at, that's the way it should be. That's what I want to be like. You know, whatever he's doing, that's that's the real thing. And you see a few of those people like Dalai Lama. You know, I don't know what he's doing, but someone who can manage that amount of stress and and distress and still be chuckling, you know, whatever he's, he's doing the right thing, <laughs> you know, that amount of of anxiety and pain and uh, and sensing it and knowing it, and yet still be able to to, to chuckle and be humble and be human. That's something, isn't it? That's yeah. That's what it must be about. Your faculties are clear and bright. You, you must have touched the deathless. So, so today maybe because it was mentioned, just to bear in mind the ongoing, um, unresolved suffering and stress of the Tibetan people. And uh, what can we do? Well, we can at least acknowledge that, open our hearts to it, you know, not forget it, not accept it, not resign ourselves to it, not just give in to, you know, despond or bitterness or cynicism. That's what we can do. That's what I can do. Hey, well...